Daniel chapter nine is where we're gonna be this morning. So uh, this week, our family, we went on a little vacation with my in-laws and went up to Canada. We were driving back um, from Canada a few days ago, which is another story for another sermon. Um, For the record, driving to Canada is just as far as it sounds. You know, it's like five inches on a map and a lot of hours in a seat. And so we were driving back from Canada and um, because I think my wife is a seven on the Enneagram, it's always like, let's just cram in one more adventure, one more adventure. And so on the way back from Canada, it's like, let's surprise the boys and let's stop in Chicago and take them to a Cubs game. And, and I love Chicago. It's, it's a really important city uh, in our family. My dad uh, grew up in Chicago, lived six blocks from Wrigley Field. So, you know, I was born to just like bleed for the losers, you know, just like love the Cubs and just like celebrate the Cubs. And so this sort of like Mecca for our family. Always loved Chicago. Uh, my brother-in-law lived in Chicago for years right after Sydney and I were married. And uh, over the last decade or so, I've done a lot of work in Chicago. There's a lot of churches that every year I go up and serve and work with and a lot of brothers and sisters in that city that I love. So I, I love this city, but this is the first time we ever took our boys to the city. And those of you that are parents, you don't even have to be a parent to really imagine. You just see things differently when your kids are around. And so here we are, you know, normally I'm in this city and I just love the life and the energy and the intensity and the insanity. It's like, it's just all, I love it. You know, it's gritty, it's tough. But all of a sudden I'm there with my kids and I'm like, this place sucks. Like, <laughs> I hate it. Like, and I don't know if you ever felt that before. You know, I'm just like there and we're, we're in this subway car just filled to the brim, overflowing with every just version of humanity, just like rush hour on the way to Wrigley Field. And I'm looking up at all of the advertisements, you know, that they have across the top of the subway car. And I kid you not, every other advertisement, it was like, here's where you find easy weed and here's where you find sex and here's how you can gamble on tonight's game and here's how you can get drunk. And then Sydney pointed this out to me. She said, did you notice every other advertisement was how to deal with your depression, anxiety, and fear? And it's like, oh, just, we're just like so spiritually blind, we don't even see it. And I'm, so I'm sitting there and I'm like just looking at all of like capitalism gone wrong all around me. And then people are just sweating on me and cursing around me and yelling at each other. And, and I'm looking in this, in this subway car and I'm just like, this place is terrible. Like, not just this place, these people, these are the worst people on the face of the planet. And... Uh, you can laugh at me, you can judge me. You're better Christians than me. You've never felt this, but have you, have you ever had one of those moments where you are surrounded by humanity and you're, you're not very compassionate? You're not very visionary for the Lord? You're not like dialed into the mission? Uh, so excuse me, I had one of those moments and I'm, I'm there in the subway car and I'm going back and forth between two extremes. And here's what I noticed in my heart. You know, one extreme was just this extreme towards cynicism where I looked at all the people around me and they were just in my way. They were, they were frustrating, they were annoying, they were a lost cause, they weren't worth time, energy, attention, compassion. So in one moment, I'd be really cynical towards the people around me, and then there'd be this pendulum swing in my heart where I'd go from being cynical to being complacent, and all of a sudden, it was, okay, let me just push out all of the noise around me, let me focus on this sweet little family, and we're going to the Cubs game, and I hope we win, and I hope we catch a ball, we didn't, but you know, it's just like all of this stuff, and I just bounce back and forth, cynicism, complacency, cynicism, complacency, and the next morning, Sydney and I were driving back to Nashville with the family, and I was just confessing to her, I'm like, where do we find the strength to sustain the purity? of God's mission. Like, how do you do it? Like, in a, in a world gone mad, how do you find the energy to sustain the mission? 
to be tough and tender, to be courageous, to be a person of conviction and principle and yet compassionate and gentle and humble and wise, to, to be dialed into humanity but not sucked into the reality of humanity. Like how do you live in the midst of the culture that we're in without getting sucked into all of it or becoming bitter and jaded and cynical by putting yourself above it? I'm like, how do you do this? And this is one of the, the things we pray for our boys almost every single day. God, make them tough and tender, make them men of conviction, and principle, make them compassionate and kind, gracious and truthful. It's what I pray for you almost every single day of the week. I was praying for you this morning. God, make us tough and yet tender, compassionate, convicted, strong, courageous. Make us visionary because here's the reality. And I've said this, I think seven straight weeks that we've been through Daniel. Jesus did not put you here in this cultural moment in hopes that you might survive it. He didn't put you here in hopes that you'd survive the onslaught he didn't put you here in order for you to join it. You're not designed to survive it. You're not designed to join it. You're designed to rise up in the midst of it by the grace and the power of the Spirit of God to bring redemption to it. You're salt and you are light. You're the preservative in a rotting world. You are the illumination in a world that can't see. Jesus goes, this is who you are. And the question is, when will we as the people of God begin to believe it? In my confession, even just sitting you know, for 30 minutes on a subway, I'm like, I've given up all hope in life. <laughs> how, do you, how do you keep doing this? How do you, how do you keep going? And, and this is what's so remarkable to me about Daniel. He's a teenage boy, he's taken 800 miles from his home into a country he didn't wanna visit, much less live in. The worst thing that could happen to a teenage boy happens to him, I'm not trying to be funny, but he's castrated, he's put into the king's service, and he has to figure out how do you not just survive this environment, but how do you thrive in the midst of it? Not just through college, not just through a long train ride in a city you're visiting, not just through your 20s or your 30s or your empty nest years. How do you thrive in the midst of a world gone mad? And we've seen this as he faced the pressure of being isolated, of them attempting to indoctrinate him, to re-identify him, he felt the pressure of a world that wanted him to bow down, so he stood up. He stood out in a world that was fitting in. He kept standing with Jesus, even if it took them into the fire or into the lion's den, in vocational pressure, in social pressure, in relational pressure, in physical pressure, in generational pressure. For 70 years, this dude just stood firm, and I'm like, God, what is that secret? What's the secret to a life like that? If you're here two weeks ago, we wrapped up the first half of Daniel chapter six by asking this question. What's the secret sauce? How do, you, how do you thrive in the midst of a world gone mad? And Daniel six is that story in the lion's den. Daniel's in his early 80s at that point. And we ended that teaching where we're gonna pick up this morning because we said, here's the secret. It comes out of Daniel chapter six, verse 10, that in the midst of pressure, Daniel kept prioritizing the presence of God. You remember that, those of you that were here? The way he lived in the pressure, the way he thrived in the pressure was he kept prioritizing the presence of God. Now, here's what I love about the second half of Daniel. You know, the first six chapters are all the big events, all the stories, the biographical like mile markers. The last six chapters are excerpts from his prayer journal. The last six chapters all take place within the first six chapters. So last week, I thought Brandon did a brilliant job of walking us through Daniel 7 and 8. That was a prophetic moment from Daniel's prayer journal that took place in the events that are recorded in Daniel chapter 5. Today we're in Daniel chapter 9, and this is an excerpt 
from his prayer journal that takes place, I believe, in his life right before he goes to the lion's den. So if you wanna know what was going through this dude's mind, once the edict has been sent out, <laughs> once he's been threatened with his life, if he keeps leaning, if you wanna go, like, what was going on in his mind, Daniel chapter nine gives us the glimpse into what was going on in his mind in that moment. So all of this chapter, here's what we're gonna do this morning, kind of follow along. We're gonna put it under this umbrella of how do you prioritize the presence of God? That's where we ended last time, right? If you wanna stay in the pressure, you gotta prioritize the presence. And so this morning, everything we're gonna talk about is gonna be under that umbrella of God's presence. And there's just four things I want us to look at together out of Daniel chapter nine. We're gonna spend the lion's share of our energy, pun intended, um, the lion's share of our en- terrible Bible joke. I won't use that at 11. Um, the majority in the first two kind of realities, and then we'll hit on the second two together before we receive communion and worship. So Daniel, Daniel chapter nine, starting in verse one. I love this. It says, in the first year of King Darius, Son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the, Bab- uh, over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures. According, listen to this, according to the word of the Lord given to the prophet Jeremiah that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. We could do a whole sermon series, I kid you not, on these two verses. So much stuff in this, but I want you to notice this. Daniel chapter six begins with the inauguration of Darius. Remember, that's what got Daniel in the lion's den in the first place. He had this big inauguration, had this worship service. If you don't bow to me, you go in the lion's den, remember that? And so here in verse one and two, Daniel's gonna say, hey, this excerpt from my prayer journal came from that season of my life where Darius had just been put in charge and the pressure was on me and in all of these ways. And I love this. Look back at verse two. What was, what was he doing as he was prioritizing the presence of the Lord. He says, it was in that first year, I, Daniel, understood from the what? Somebody shouted out, understood from the, from the scriptures. According to the word of who? Come on, I know it's nine o'clock. According to the word of who? Amen. To the Lord, given to the prophet Jeremiah that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So guys, I love this. Here's this guy in his early 80s. He's endured all of this stuff like an absolute boss filled with the Spirit of God, living into the purposes and plans of God. And so what does it look like for him to very practically prioritize the presence of the Lord? It practically looks like him getting on his knees in the morning and opening up the scriptures and saying, God, what do you have for me here? And this is so simple, guys, yet it's so profound because all of us want a word from God. Most of us just don't open the word he's given us. And here Daniel, this this man of God, who God was using by the power of the Holy Spirit to even write the scriptures. I mean, we're reading the scriptures that God used him to write. He's still surrendering himself, submitting himself to the scriptures that he's even helping to write. He's, He's reading, he's reflecting, he is experiencing. And if you take notes, here's what I want you to notice. Under the presence of the Lord, the first thing is Daniel is a man that is marked by the revelation of God. Marked by revelation that comes when he submits himself daily to the word of the Lord. I love this, he gives us a clue. He doesn't just say, I was just reading the Bible in general. He goes, no, I was reading the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet in Jerusalem when Daniel was a young boy. He probably heard Jeremiah preach. And surely he had read the writings of Jeremiah before, but here he is, he's going back through this book once again and all of a sudden it comes to life for him. 
It's so beautiful. I think there's several places in Jeremiah that he could have been reading from, but the, the clearest moment in that entire book that speaks to the situation that Daniel is feeling comes out of Jan Jeremiah chapter 29. It'll be on the screen for you. Listen to these words. This is what Daniel, I believe, was reading on his knees as he was awaiting the lion den. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Listen to this, and I will bring you back from what? From captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Daniel's sitting there. He's reading the word of the Lord that morning on his floor with the windows open to Jerusalem, awaiting the lion's den, Jeremiah chapter 29. And he starts doing the math. He goes, wait, I was about 15 years old when I got carried into exile. Pulls out his Google calendar. He's like, we're 67 years into this. And he realizes the word of the Lord is about to be fulfilled. Guys, there's a lot of ways that you can read the word of the Lord. And I think all of them bring some value. You can read it out of obligation. Like, I really need to read this more. You can read it for information. I really wanna learn more. You can read it for inspiration. Like, man, I really wanna feel encouraged. All those things are fine. But there's this deeper water. There's this deeper place that Daniel taps into as he's prioritizing the presence of God. And it's no longer just obligation or inspiration or information, but it's revelation. The veil's open, the curtain's torn open, and he realizes that the word of God, this book, is not just a living word, but he realizes, no, he's living in the word. And the story is still unfolding and God is still moving in human history. It's one of the things we try to ask our boys on a regular basis. Hey, what chapter are we in of the scriptures? Where are we at? <laughs> Where are we at in the story? Where is it unfolding? Because it's not just a devotional book. It's not just a dead book. It's not just an old thing. It's not just a historical record. It's a thing that is unfolding. And I believe we're nearing the end of the story. More of that to come. I love this. Daniel, as he prioritizes the presence, he's a man that's marked by revelation. But I love this, this, this moment in God's presence where he experiences the revealed word of God. And guys, it's something I pray for you almost daily I'm like, guys, I don't want a church with a bunch of people that just go, man, we really should do our Bible reading today and we do it. Like, that's a good place to start, but I want you to sit down like you're gathering around a fire every morning and the warmth of God's love just hits you. And every morning's not gonna be that. Every morning's not gonna be just the Shekinah glory you know, of, of God just resting on you. Some days it's just gonna feel dry, but I'm telling you, you just keep coming, maybe out of obligation, maybe for inspiration, maybe for information, but my prayer is that'll be revelation. That the living word would become a word you live in. And so Daniel's sitting there, but this revelation is gonna move him into something more. Look at verse three with me. He says, so after this revelation, he goes, I turned to the Lord God. And I pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. The second thing, this Daniel was not just marked in the secret place by revelation. Secondly, that revelation pushed him to this place where he's now devoted to intercession. The revelation pushed him not just to, to pray, trite prayers like, God, make me comfortable, make me happy, make me safe, make me rich, like, 
you know, that prayer 101 class, any of us can pray. I'm not dogging it. I've prayed thousands of those prayers this week. I'm just saying. But there's another kind of prayer. It's this prayer of intercession that Daniel gets, gets pushed into out of the revelation of where he is in human history, what it is that God is doing. All of a sudden, Daniel goes, God, that's what you're doing. And he doesn't sit back passively. He goes, I wanna be a part of that. And so instead of rushing out to action, he gets down on his knees and he begins to intercede. I'll, if you're not familiar with that word, I'll just give you kind of a quick definition. You know, when I think about intercession, it's to labor or to inter, intervene or to take responsibility for somebody else's spiritual breakthrough. That's what intercession is. It's to strive, it's to, to labor, it's to take responsibility for somebody else's spiritual breakthrough. And intercession is a serious business. <laughs> it's what happens when somebody has experienced the, the revealed word of God breaking out in their life. I believe intercession will become one of the defining marks of the end time church. The revelation of the Lord and now the intercession of God's people on behalf of the world. It won't be a spare us, protect us, keep us. You, it's like, no, God, pour your mercy out. Reveal Christ to the world around us. And we can do a whole sermon series on these next 15 verses, just, just the roadmap of intercession, what it looks like to labor and strive and take responsibility for somebody else's spiritual breakthrough. But I just wanna hit a few things very quickly this morning so it's not vague, but you go, I can intercede. I hope even just after a few minutes in Daniel 9 this morning, you go, I can start interceding tonight. I can start interceding today. I want you to notice, look back at verse three with me. Intercession, it requires concentration and consecration. Daniel's not just throwing up a prayer as he's waiting in line for a $9 latte. You're like, oh, Lord, save this place. Okay, now my latte doesn't work. Like, you, you can pray that way. I'm just saying, intercession's a different kind of business. I love it. Look at, look, look at verse three. It says, he goes, when I heard this, he goes, I was pushed into this place of prayer. And he goes, sackcloth, ashes, prayer, and fasting. <laughs> a lot of those images are kind of rare to us. I know we fast a lot as a church, so I'm gonna spend the majority of the time on the other ones. But you put ashes on your face as this reminder that you don't need to go out of the house today until you're done doing business with God. It's like the decision you make when you wake up and you're like, I'm not gonna shower and I'm gonna keep my gray sweatpants on and my gray sweatshirt on, gray on gray. I'm not, I don't, I'm not suitable for public today. You know, you make those decisions. You say, I'm gonna stay in the house. That's what Daniel's doing. He puts ashes on his face to remind him that he doesn't leave the house until he's done interceding for the people. Ashes on his face, it says sackcloth on his body. Sackcloth was this scratchy, rough, literally a shirt that was designed to make you itch. How miserable does that sound? <laughs> He's not sitting there in his favorite tea with a cozy blanket and a cup of coffee, looking at, you know, snowy mountain, like just, Lord, redeem Jerusalem, you know? It's like dirt on the face, itchy shirt. I remember when I was in college, I, I love pranks. Uh, quick aside for you. I love pranks, and one night we had shaved my friend's head for fun, and he's like, what do we do with all this extra hair? And it's like, let's break into our friend's dorm room and put all the hair clippings in all of his T-shirts. And so we broke into his <laughs> dorm and put hair in all of his shirts, and it'd be amazing, because, I mean, it took forever, all semester. We'd be in class, just like, oh. And that was sackcloth. You, you put on a hairy T-shirt. <laughs> you just itch, and every time you itch, it's like, oh yeah, I need to pray for the people. Intercession, serious business, dirt on the face, itchy shirt, empty stomach, consecration, concentration, because Daniel goes, human history is moving towards something and I don't wanna miss out. I'm telling you, the things that are coming in the days ahead will be only attainable to those that refuse to fall asleep to what God's doing in the world. 
It's intercession. Consecration, concentration. But he keeps going, look at this verse four. He says, so I prayed to the Lord. And this is the next piece of intercession. And he goes, and I confessed. Because I confessed. The Lord, you're the great and awesome God who keeps the covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We've sinned and we've done wrong. We've been wicked and we've rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our ancestors and the people of the land. And so he's concentrating, he's consecrated, and now he's confessing. He goes, God, here's the deal. And here's, here's what I want you to notice just real quick is that Daniel, all of the prayers, he includes himself in those prayers of confession. He's not standing shoulder to shoulder with Jesus going, what are we gonna do about these messy people on earth? Even though most of the sins were sins that were committed before he was even born, he understood that he was far more like humanity than he was like Jesus. And so if he had to pick a side to identify with, he goes, I'm gonna identify with humanity. This is the spirit of a confessor or of an intercessor. It's concentration, it's consecration, it's confession. And then he begins just dealing with the consequences or experiencing, look at verse seven. He goes, Lord, you're righteous. But this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. I love that. Daniel is going, hey, every consequence we are experiencing is the reflection of your perfect judgment. Guys, I love you so much. I just wanna say this as gently as I know how. A mature church is a church that looks at the sinful reality of humanity, and instead of giving humanity a hall pass, we go, hey, we're a part of the problem. And Lord, everything you do in judgment against us is fair, true, right, and good. There's this scene in the book of Revelation where God is pouring out the final judgment on human history. And it says that all of heaven's courts, they're standing there and they are applauding the Lord saying, all of your judgments are right and true and good. From earthly perspective, a lot of times the judgment of God seems confusing and unfair. But from the perspective of heaven, everything he does lines up with exactly what we deserve in our sins. And, and Daniel, here he is, he's, he's consecrated himself. He's, he's concentrated on the presence of the Lord. He's confessing sin. He's, he's owning up to the consequences that they're facing. Jump down to verse 13. And he's just gonna own the condition of their heart. He says, just as it was written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to the truth. And the Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything we've done, yet we've not obeyed him. Guys, this is the most sobering reality of our current cultural moment is despite every bit of hardship, pain, suffering, and everything that's being unleashed on the earth in human history, our hearts as a collective humanity seem to be growing colder and harder towards the righteousness of God. And Daniel is prioritizing the presence. He's facing his own lion's den, all of the pressure that's coming his way. He gets this revealed word of the Lord from Jeremiah. It gets him down on his knees in intercession. He's, he, he's scratchy shirt, empty belly, dirt on the face. God, would you please, would you please? And up until this point, he just keeps identifying himself with the brokenness of humanity. Guys, if you don't know what to pray for the culture around us. Just pray the first part of Daniel 9 over and over and over and over. But I love the way his prayer ends. Verse 15, 
says, now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we've sinned, we've done wrong. So Lord, in keeping with all of your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn for all those around us. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. Listen to this. Hear the prayers for whose sake? Because for your sake, Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open up your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous. Listen to this. Because this prayer is not because we are righteous. We make requests because you have great what? Shout it out. You have great mercy. Lord, so listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Dirt on his face, itchy shirt on his body, belly that's empty, the revealed word of God has heated him up to where he's set in human history and now he's interceding and he's pleading and he goes, but God, I'm not doing this because I'm so good, I'm so tough, I'm so durable. He goes, I'm doing this because you're righteous, you're merciful, you're great, your covenant of love, your character is perfect. This is the mark of a church has come face to face with the living word of God, understanding where we're living in the word of God that's been pushed to our knees in this place of intercessory prayer. We plead his mercy, his grace, his character. It's beautiful. He was a man under the pursuit of God's presence, marked by the revealed word, devoted to intercession. Number three, he was shaped by divine visitation. We're not gonna spend much time on these last two, but it's important. We'll come back and hit these later this fall. So important. Shaped by visitation. Look at verse 20. Because while I was speaking and praying, this is like the best prayer meeting ever. <laughs> while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the angel, this is the angel that shows up hundreds of years later to Mary to let her know she's carrying the son of God in her belly. God's special servant sent on this special assignment to Daniel. He goes, Gabriel showed up as I was praying, this man that I'd seen earlier in the vision from Daniel chapter eight. And he instructed me and he said, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out from heaven, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Some of your Bibles say greatly loved. So therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Guys, some of this, I know it sounds like freak show. You're like, wait, what? Came here for a little bit of Jesus and angels are showing up, what's going on? We spent all last fall talking about the unseen realm. You can go back and listen to the podcast. Angels, demons, powers, principalities. As followers of Jesus, we're not, we're not called to obsess over them. But we are called to understand the way that God uses them to strengthen the saints in the days of challenge. <laughs> and all throughout Daniel's life, he wasn't seeing angels every single day. You know, we, 70 years of his prayer journal, and there's six or seven times where an angel shows up and strengthens him. That's a pretty good ratio. I'd love once a decade, you know. Once a decade, an angel shows up, gives me a little strength. But the last seven chapters, you cannot read the book of Daniel without wrestling with the reality of the unseen breaking into the scene, angels breaking in to strengthen the life of believers. It's not just true in Daniel's life. It's true in Jesus's life. Think about his early, earthly ministry. His, his birth was announced by angels. His birth was received by angels. As a little boy, he was delivered from Herod by the warning of angels. 
After facing temptation in the desert, he is ministered to by angels. In the garden of Gethsemane, facing the cross, angels show up to minister to Jesus. At the resurrection, who's first to the tomb? It's the angels. At the ascension of Jesus, who announces it? It's the angels. And when Jesus returns one day to put his feet on the earth, do you know who will accompany him? Not a trick question, shout it out. Who's gonna accompany him one day? It's the angels. All through Daniel's life, all through Jesus's life, all through the life of the early church and even in the life of the church today. As he prioritized the presence, there was the revelation of God's word. There was the devotion to intercession. And then along the way, there'd be these moments where he was strengthened by visitation of heavenly beings. Now, some of you are going, I don't know that I've ever seen an angel. Real quick, look at Hebrews chapter one. I love this. Hebrews chapter one. It'll be on the screen, verse 14. It says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Isn't that pretty amazing? Scriptures go, hey, angels will be used by God to strengthen those of you that are awaiting the salvation of the Lord that will come to you in Jesus. But you can almost hear the people who received the book of Hebrews going, yeah, but I haven't seen one. So at the end of the letter, look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse two. He goes, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to who? To angels, you guys are horrible. Um, just, <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding. Showing hospitality to angels, right? Without even knowing it. All the scriptures, this is, this is a part of the inbreaking reality of God. Revelation, intercession, visitation. I think we have to be careful in, in the church, two extremes, right? One extreme is, I see angels everywhere. <laughs> have you ever been around a person that sees angels everywhere? I remember Sydney and I being at a conference one time and this guy was speaking and he said, he said, I see angels everywhere. I see angels in this room. And he goes, if you wanna see angels, raise your hand. I'm gonna snap three times and you'll see angels from now on. So I'm like, eh, you know, might as well try it. So I'm raising my hand and I don't feel bad about it. Like, you know, he snapped his fingers three times, didn't work. So maybe I had bad faith or I don't know. But, um, you know, I'm telling you, there's some people that are gonna teach you that you can call up an angel like you ordered Chipotle on Uber Eats. And it's just not that way. Like, I don't think it's like, you know, Lord, send an angel. It's like, no, it's like, but in, in, in time. So that's one, that's one extreme you have to avoid. Just dial one up. I think the other extreme that most of us are maybe more prone to falling into is you just ignore them altogether. And Daniel just keeps reminding us that you're a people living between two worlds and the unseen and the seen will often intersect in the life of a person who's prioritized the presence. And sometimes you'll see it, sometimes you won't. And I think the times we don't see it is actually the greater gift because the messenger is always there to point beyond themselves to Jesus himself. He prioritized the presence, facing the lion's den, the revealed word of God, interceding for the people, shaped by divine visitation. And we'll end here just a couple more minutes. Last but not least, rooted in expectation. Rooted in expectation. Now, these last few verses of Daniel 9, we're gonna spend a lot more time in the fall dealing with them. I read literally hundreds of pages over the last year on these three verses. Lots of opinions, lots of things to wrestle through, but I don't want us to miss the big idea of what I think is happening here in the moment. And this will lay a foundation for what's to come later on. Look at verse 24. Daniel's praying, and he's like, God, in three years, we're getting out of Babylon, right? And the angel shows up and he goes, yeah, he goes, but I've got more for you. Have you ever prayed and God gave you more than you asked for? 
prayed a little prayer, God shows up with something big. Daniel's praying about the next three years. God goes, boom, let me blow your mind. Let me give you more than the next three years. He goes, here's a prophecy I want you to understand, verse 24. He goes, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city. Listen to all that God's promising that he'll do. He's not just gonna get them out of captivity. He goes, one day he's gonna finish transgression, put an end to sin, atone for wickedness, bring everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. <laughs> He goes, so know and understand this. For the time that the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, I think that's the moment where King Cyrus years later would send out the decree that uh, would open up the opportunity for people to leave Babylon and then Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls. Another sermon, another day. He goes, but from the moment that decree goes out, from the moment that happens, I love this. He goes, until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. The city will be rebuilt, the streets and the trench, but in the times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And so there's this moment where he's going, Daniel, yes, the next three years are gonna be key. He goes, but I want you to look further into the future, further into the future. He goes, another one is coming. Jesus is coming. And he's gonna begin all of this great work and then they're gonna put him to death. That's what's being prophesied here. He goes, and then all of hell in human history is gonna be raising up. And I believe the next part is pointing to the Antichrist. We'll talk more about that later. He goes, but then the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And the people of the ruler will come to destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then the end will come like a flood and we will continue until the end and the desolations that have been decreed. And he will confirm a covenant with, with many for one seven. In the middle of seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and the offering, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, I know a lot of you, you read those verses and you're like, I just wanna put those verses on a mug or on a T-shirt. <laughs> but it's, it's so important. In fact, in Matthew 24, Jesus is gonna point back to this very place in Daniel chapter nine. He's gonna say, hey, you need to understand this. And we'll come back and deal with this later, but here's the thing that I want you to notice. Daniel's vision was into the next three years and Jesus goes, I wanna give you more than that. He goes, here's the download of my first coming. Here's the download of the world that's gonna rise against me. And here's the download of my second coming when I'm gonna make all things right and do more than you could ever ask or imagine. And it's here in the presence that it wasn't just revelation or intercession or visitation, but all of a sudden there is this stirring up, there is this, there, there's this burning in his heart, this great expectation, and he begins to understand that all of history is in God's hands, that he's bringing it to a glorious conclusion in the person of Jesus. And his people have been called to open our eyes and open our hearts to know and understand the times. He goes, here you go, Daniel. Here you go. <laughs> and you just imagine Daniel, he's like, whoa, I just prayed about lions. <laughs> and God goes, I've got more for you. And I go, guys, in this crushing sea of humanity, this culture that we find ourselves in, how, how do we keep ourselves from growing cynical and cold or complacent and protective? How do we rise up as salt and light? How do we rise up? It's no secret. So we prioritize the presence because it's in the presence you get the revelation that pushes you to intercession, that opens the door for visitation, that raises your expectation. So no longer are you just another person in the cog of the human story, but you are a place where heaven and earth are kissing and the world gets to see Jesus. And Daniel is not just someone to be admired. I believe he is a picture of the church in the days we're in and the picture of the church in the days to come. 
because I believe the church that is gonna thrive in the Babylons of the day will be a church that is not just marked by attendance and casual offerings and a little bit of service, but a church that's marked by revelation and intercession and visitation and expectation for the return of the Lord. Of people marked by what's happening in the throne room of God as they get on their knees. And ultimately, Daniel, the whole time, he's so beautiful and so glorious because he's pointing beyond himself to Jesus. Jesus didn't just need revelation, he was the revelation. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was the revelation. Jesus is the great intercession. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25, when you return to heaven, it says he lives continuously to intercede for you. Did you know Jesus, his, he literally has a prayer ministry right now for your breakthrough. Jesus is the great one whose visitation we await, 1 Peter 2, 12, until the day of his visitation we await. And all of this stirs this unbridled expectation. Revelation 21, verse five. He comes, he wipes away every tear, he renews all things. Guys, listen, some of you are just biding your time to retirement, more vacation, a little time off. Guys, your story's so much bigger than that. You're in a bigger story. Some of you are just trying to get through the semester, just trying to get that. No, guys, you're in a bigger story. You're in a bigger story. You're in a bigger story. You're made for more. It's what Jesus wants to release in us and through us and around us. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna stand up and we're gonna receive communion and end with a song or two, but I just wanna pray over us that God would release the reality of Daniel chapter nine into our church family and into the church in our nation at large this morning. So I just encourage you, if you feel comfortable, just put your hands out in front of you with your hands open and your palms up. Father, this, this morning we sit in the tension of mystery and understanding. And we humbly say, there's a lot in your word we don't understand, but we don't have to understand it for it to be true. God, there are things that are mysterious that will be mysterious forever, and there are things to be revealed that you will show. And God, in the midst of the times we find ourselves in, Lord, would you pour out in abundance upon Ethos Church in the most simple, natural way, would you pour out would you pour out a hunger for your presence? Help us to want you. Help us to prioritize your presence. And God, as we prioritize your presence, we'll trust that in due time, in due way, you will give us revelation, intercession, visitation, and expectation so we can live to glorify you in the world you put us in. Make us salt and light for your glory and the good of those around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.